Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I need to ask the adult Sunday school class, have you finished Philippians yet? Yes? I know we haven't in here, but I was asking you of it in your class. You have? You finished Philippians? When we started the uh, sermon series in Philippians, what was it? Six, eight years ago? (laughs) Some of you said, you know what, my Sunday school class is going to get through the entire book of Philippians before you get out of the first chapter. Well, we're going to get, what, the first verse? That was you. I want to see you in my office after church. Well, we're going to finish the first chapter this morning. So if you'll turn with me in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I know a lot of folks, uh, you know, and the days that we're living in, everything is immediate, you know, fast food, fast service, you know, get it, get in, get it, get it and get out, those kinds of things. Um, I'm not that way. I've never been fast about anything, really. Um, And certainly I haven't been fast about Bible study. and I know you know that, and, and some of you um, have told me that. But um, there is so much in the Word of God that we miss when we just skim. And so uh, my whole focus in preaching has been to take the Word of God, study the Word of God, and glean from it God's Word into our own lives. And so, in my humble opinion, that takes time, that takes effort, that takes work, that takes prayer, that takes meditation, that takes listening to the Holy Spirit, uh, that takes uh, more than a lot of people nowadays are willing to put into their uh, quiet time. So in Philippians chapter 1, we, we come to the last three verses of this chapter. Stand with me in honor of God's word. The Apostle Paul says, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. This is the word of God. We ask his blessing upon the reading of his word. You may be seated. We move from Paul's theology of his joy in Christ Jesus, which is 
pretty much the first chapter. It is his take on joy in Christ Jesus. It is his understanding of what that is. So we move from his theology of his joy in Christ Jesus to the practical expression of spiritual joy the church is to have in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a a very important point to make because I know the frustrations of a lot of people, a lot of Christian people, who spend time and put forth the effort to study the Scripture, to, to glean from the Scripture God's truth, and to apply that into their life. And when they get to church, it's just not up to snuff. Practical theology is important. We develop that as we study the Word of God. But church theology is equally important. What we practice, listen, what we practice in our Christian lives, we must also practice in our church life. Amen? Amen. Do you hear me? What we practice in our personal lives as Christians, we must also practice in our church life. All too often there is a great disparity in what people do as Christians in home, in their own personal lives, and what they do or don't do in their church life. And that ought not to be. If God's truth is God's truth in your life, it ought to be God's truth in church life. And so the Apostle Paul builds this bridge in these last three verses, from what he understands to be joy in the Christian life to what joy should be in church life. As a matter of fact, for the remainder of the book, the Apostle Paul is going to focus in on the practical application of the teachings of Jesus Christ to show us how, as a church, we are to live in the joy of of the Lord. Now I want to remind us before we get into this, I want to remind us of two very important texts in scripture. The first is the great commandment and the second is the great commission. The great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is given in Matthew chapter 22 verses 37 through 40, where Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Beloved, if we just get that great commandment down in our own heart, in our own mind, in our own spirit, and in our own life, we wouldn't have near the problems. We would not have near the issues that we face day in and day out personally as a Christian or in the church as well. 
to love the Lord God with all that we are, all that we have, and to love each other as we love ourselves would resolve 99.9% of the heartache that we face in our Christian walk. The Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We've been given the mandate by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to love the Lord with all that we are and with all that we have, to love each other as we love ourselves, and to go into the world and disciple people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have no other purpose than this. This is the purpose for which we exist in the earth. You're not a Christian so that you can go to heaven when you die. You're a Christian so that you can demonstrate your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for one another, and your love for the lost, that you would dare tell them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else is as important to you as a Christian. Nothing else is, am, is as important to us as a church. So now, with all of these things in mind, the Apostle Paul mentions two major issues. Two, now not just two issues that the church faces, but two major issues in this letter to the Philippians that keep the church from obeying the great commandment and prevent the church from carrying out the Great Commission. Two major issues that he warned the Philippian church of that keep the Christian church from obeying the Great Commandment and prevents the church from carrying out the Great Commission. The first one is found in chapter 3 and verse 2. So turn right and look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilations. Now what in the world is he talking about? Beware of dogs. Well, first of all, the word beware. Very simple, it means to be aware. Simple enough. Be aware. Beware, the Apostle Paul uses this in the church context to, to stress upon them that you need to be aware of those things that are potentially dangerous to you. Beware, as a church, of those things that are potentially dangerous to you to the church. And he lists three 
things that we need to be aware of. First of all, he says, beware of dogs. Now, dogs does not refer to a canine out there roaming the street. He uses this as a metaphor for a certain type of individual. He's not referring to the physical dog. He's referring to a spiritual dog. He's speaking about those individuals who are wild and unruly, like a wild dog. Wild and unruly. They are contentious, they are troublesome, and they cause disruption and disunity in the church. And Paul said, you need to be aware of these individuals in the church because they are dangerous to the church. Evil workers are people who preach and teach false, ungodly, and unbiblical doctrine. People who preach and teach false, ungodly, and unbiblical doctrine. The mutilation refers to people who practice religion but have no spiritual relationship to Jesus Christ. Now Paul had a problem with Judaizers in his day. These were Jewish people who came to faith in Jesus Christ and they followed the Apostle Paul around wherever he went. They were not a part of his entourage. But after Paul would leave a certain area, would leave a certain church, these Judaizers would come in and say, believing in Jesus Christ is A-OK, but you also have to obey the law. You cannot be saved by faith alone. You must also obey the law. And Paul called them spiritual dogs. He called them evil workers. He called them those who follow after the mutilations. Now by mutilation he simply means that they are physically Jews. They have the circumcision that identifies them as Jews, but spiritually they are not the people of God. So they have a, they have a form of faith, but they don't have the power of faith. They have the form of godliness, but they don't have the power of godliness. They practice their Christian faith, but they're not Christian at all. Dogs, evil workers, and the mutilation. Spiritual dogs, evil workers, and Christless religionists. Christless religionists. They stymie the church in its spiritual service by robbing the church of its joy in Christ Jesus. And when the church, listen, when the church is robbed of its spiritual joy, it falls into depression. Spiritual depression. And if that is not remedied in time, it falls into spiritual despair, which is one step away from spiritual destruction. Closing its doors. Giving up. Walking away. 
from the faith. The second major issue that the church faced that Paul warned about is in chapter 3 in verses 17, 18, and 19. Take a look there. (coughs) Philippians chapter 3, verses 17, 18, and 19. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Those whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. This is the second grave issue that the church faced then and that the church faces now. The enemies of the cross. What are the enemies of the cross? Well, we have to very simply say they are non-believers. They are non-Christian. They stand opposed to the cross. They stand opposed to what the cross stands for. They stand opposed to the cross as being the means whereby salvation comes into an individual's life. They stand opposed to the cross because it was upon the cross that Jesus Christ died in obedience to the will of God. And through his obedience, God granted salvation to those who repent of sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. There are those who stand opposed to that. And Paul warned the church about such people. He said the enemies of the cross are those whose end is destruction. So again, they are non-believers. Are there non-believers in the church? Yes, there are. There are non-believers in every church. Are they visitors? Are they guests? Some of them are members and have been members for a long time. Beware of them, the Apostle Paul says. These enemies of the cross are those whose God is their belly. Now he doesn't mean, he's not referring to Baptists here, uh, who, you know, who really emphasize fellowship, both collective fellowship in the Spirit and collective fellowship in the fellowship hall. He's not talking about those whose God is the belly. Uh, In the mind of the Hebrew people, the belly was the, the center of emotion. And desire. We say that's in the heart, but to the Hebrew people, that was in the stomach. You ever have a gut feeling about something? Well, there you go. You must be Hebrew. No. He's talking about those who worship their own desires. Those who emphasize, focus in, harp on the things that they want. The things that that, uh, that they will follow after and want you to follow after as well. Enemies of the cross are those whose glory is in their shame. And what does he mean by that? It, these are individuals who exalt themselves and others above Jesus Christ through their worldly preaching and teaching and practice. They exalt themselves above Jesus Christ. They exalt others above Jesus Christ through their worldly preaching and teaching and practice. We have those folks in churches today. Turn on the TV, my friends. You'll find it practically on every channel 
religious channel that you can find. Paul warned the Philippian church of these people. Beware of them, he said. They are dangerous to the Christian church. If they're allowed to infiltrate the Christian church, it will not take it long for the church to become spiritually compromised, which ultimately leads to moral and spiritual and doctrinal failure. Have you ever read the book of Galatians? Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. So you're going to turn left before Philippians is Ephesians, before Ephesians is Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. I want you to look in verses 6 through 10. Right at the get-go in this letter to the churches of the province of Galatia. The Apostle Paul writes, starting in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or another angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any gospel, any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. <coughs> Excuse me. For, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In less than one generation, in less than one generation after the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the Apostle Paul, the Galatian churches had fallen into spiritual and doctrinal heresy. Spiritual and doctrinal heresy. Heresy. Teachers of false doctrine were allowed to lead the church. By whom? By the members of the church. They allowed these guys and gals to come in and to start preaching their opinions, start preaching their personal interpretations of Scripture, ta uh, mixing uh, philosophy and, and paganism with uh, the Word of God. And passing that off as being progressive as Christians. The church honored the interpretations and the opinions of these men and women rather than the truth of God's word. They sought to be men-pleasers rather than God-pleasers, which indicates their loss of genuine Faith. The apostle wrote in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, referring to God. It is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so the Galatian churches were glad, gl gradually and progressively losing 
faith in Christ. Well, since we're on the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written to a first-generation church of Jewish Christians who, because of persecution, because of their desire for their old religion, because of their fondness for their traditions and the trappings and the ceremonies of their Jewish heritage, seriously contemplated turning away from Jesus and going back to Judaism. And the apostle warned them and begged them to remain faithful to the gospel by which they were saved. One generation away from the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. What about the seven churches of the Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of the Revelation? Forty to fifty years after these churches were established by the preaching and the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos and told him to write letters to these seven churches, warning them, warning them of their apostasy, warning them of their weakness, warning them of their turning away from the true faith. And so Jesus said, write to Ephesus and warn them because they no longer love me like they did in the beginning. Warn Smyrna because they no longer have a bold faith, but they have become fearful of opposition and persecution. Warn Pergamum. Because they taught the doctrine of Balaam that caused Christians to fall into the sin of willful disobedience to Jesus Christ. Warn Thyatira that allowed heretical teachers and false prophets to lead the church into sexual immorality. Warn Sardis, which had become physically alive but spiritually dead. A church whose profession was in name only. A church that practiced religion but had no personal faith in Jesus Christ. Warn Philadelphia, who had become spiritually weak and was fearful of not being able to hold up under the persecution that they were facing. Warn Laodicea, a church that was lukewarm in its faith. It was on again and off again vacillating between worldliness and godliness. Warn these churches that they have strayed away from the faith. They have strayed away from Jesus Christ. They have strayed away from the truth of the gospel. The warning of the Apostle Paul to this church in Philippi was that they should be aware of these people. And they should do all that they can to correct their error. Because many of them believed then, as many people believe today, that their spiritual gift to the church is to stir the pot. <laughs> False teachers 
rather than teachers of the truth of God's Word. People who practice religion but possess no genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Be aware of them. Mark them. They're dangerous to the church. So those are the two issues that the Apostle point, the Apostle Paul pointed out in this letter. What's the remedy? What is the remedy? How do we deal with this? How do we correct this if it's evident in our Christian life, if it's evident in our church life? Go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. He gives us a few things that we need to consider. Verse 27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, practice what you preach. Practice what you say you believe. Behave in a way that's consistent with what the gospel is. Teaches. You claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, act like it. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. First Peter chapter one. Turn to the right and go to First Peter chapter one. After the book of Hebrews, after the book of James. 1 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter writes, beginning in verse 13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all uh, uh, in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. In other words, make up your mind. Get off the fence and decide whose side you're on. Decide if you're for Jesus or against Jesus. Decide if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the world. Make up your mind and get on the Lord's side. Joshua chapter 24 verses 14 and 15. This is not new what we're hearing from Peter. This goes all the way back to a man called Joshua who led the children of Israel across the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan as they were beginning to conquer it. Joshua get, got all, as they had conquered it and were now living in the lands that the Lord had allotted to each of the tribes. Joshua got all of the people together and he said these words before he died. He said, Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, 
whether the God which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You mean there were people among the tribes of Israel that were still worshiping the gods of Egypt? And there were people in, in, in the tribes of Israel that had embraced the gods of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all of the other ites that lived in the land? Absolutely. And we have people in those churches, to, in our churches today, that are just like that. They've got one hand in heaven and the other hand on the world. They cannot make up their mind if they want to be followers of Jesus or followers of themselves. Joshua said, make up your mind who you're going to serve. Peter said, make up your mind who you're going to serve. Paul said, make up your mind whom you're going to serve. Second, the Apostle Paul said in verse 27, Back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Stand fast in one spirit. Now, spirit here is not used in reference to the Holy Spirit. It's used in reference to the spirit of the church. The spirit of the Christian faith. Stand fast in one spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18... The Apostle Paul said that we are to dress every day in the spiritual armor of God. You familiar with that passage of Scripture? Are you aware of that? If you're not, you need to go read it. He said that we are to dress every day in the spiritual armor of God. We are to put on the helmet of salvation. We are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are to put on the belt of truth. We are to put on the shoes of peace. We are to carry the shield of faith. We are to have the sword of the Spirit. And we are to be prayer warriors in the kingdom of God. But don't forget the words of the Apostle Paul in three specific verses. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having all to stand. And verse 14, Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and so on and so forth. Stand. Withstand. Having done everything to stand. Make up your mind to follow Jesus, then stand up and be counted for Jesus. And remain standing no matter what. Now we're living in very perilous times. My friends, if you haven't noticed that, wake up! And the reason that the times that we're living in is, is so perilous, and it's not just because of the politics, and it's not just because of the, of the uh, economics, and it's not just because of the science of medicine and all of those things. Satan is working through these things to destroy your faith. He is doing these things through these agencies to turn you away from Jesus. How do I know that? Well, let's just take a, a personal assessment. How many of us 
in the course of a week, talk more about politics and economics and medicine than we talk about Jesus. How many of us spend more time wringing our hands and pacing the floor because we do not know what's going to happen to us because of what's going on in Washington, what's going on in Sacramento, what's going on in the local bank, what's going on down in the doctor's office and in the hospitals, rather than contemplating what Jesus Christ is doing in our world and in your life. And what makes it so dangerous is because these things just creep in slowly but surely, bit by bit, inch by inch, moment by moment. Satan does not slap us in the face with opposition. He just, like the vine, just gently, quietly creeps in. And before you know it, the roots are set so deep and the fruit begins to develop. And it becomes extremely difficult for us to weed it out of our lives. Stand. Take a stand. Stand up. And do everything you can to remain standing in Christ. Third, again in verse 27. Strive together for the faith of the gospel. To strive together means to work together. There's too much working against each other in the church today. Too much working against each other. Paul says we need to work together. The Christian church and everyone in it must work toward a common goal. What is the common goal of the church? It's the same goal of the Christian individual. And that is a living, dynamic faith in Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the Christian church. That's the goal of the Christian life. Too many preachers, too many teachers, too many churches are trying to make a name for themselves. But the call of the kingdom of God is to exalt the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people unto myself. The Christian faith... I've said it before. I'll continue to say it until the day I die. The Christian faith is not about you. It's about Jesus. Fellowship, ministry, service, and discipleship in the Christian church is not about ecumenism. It's not about denominationalism or any other man-made program or plan. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Who are we living for? Who are we serving? In whose name do we minister? Finally, in verse 29. 
The Apostle Paul said to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, we would just as soon leave that verse off, right? We would just as soon spit and whistle over that verse and just move on. Those who strive together for the gospel, listen, those who strive together for the gospel will suffer together for the gospel. Why? Jesus said, the world hates me and the world is going to hate you. They're going to hate you because they hate me. You identify with Jesus Christ, you're going to be in the minority. You're going to identify with Jesus Christ. You're going to, take a, you're going to be on the, the side of the Lord. You're going to take a stand for the Lord. You're going to work together for the Lord. You're going to be a target. You're going to be a target. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 8. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Now, beloved, these are not just words on a page. These words, by, these words were written by men who had been there and done that. These are individuals whose faith was put to the test. These were individuals who faced the mobs. These were individuals who faced persecution. These were individuals who faced death. Not because they weren't good guys. Not because they didn't pay their taxes. Not because they weren't good to their wife. But because they loved Jesus. And so the Apostle Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who were kept by the power of God through faith for salvation made ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Did you hear him? Did you hear him? In this you greatly rejoice. You rejoice with joy. In what? In living for Jesus. In standing firm for Jesus. In working together for Jesus. In suffering for Jesus. Our joy 
is to love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our joy is to love one another in Christ as he has loved us. Our joy is to tell everyone there is a Lord and Savior who died, who was buried, and who rose again for their salvation. And that Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ. Amen? And amen. Stand with me, if you will, please. David, lead us in a song. Do not know Jesus, and your heart's desire is to know Jesus, you can speak with me, you can speak with Pastor David, you can speak with Pastor Chris, you can speak with any one of a number of individuals, and we would be more than happy to tell you about the one who died on the cross to save you from the penalty of sin. Father, as we leave the house, may we go talking about Jesus. May we go living for Jesus. May we go working together for Jesus. May we go standing firmly in Jesus. May we go, if need be, to suffer for Jesus. To His honor and to His glory and to the salvation and strengthening of souls. In Christ Jesus I ask. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.